we do appreciate so very much Carol being willing to come and and lead us in our worship and song this morning. For those of you that may not be aware of it, uh, Carol is married to my favorite sister-in-law, and so we're glad that uh, they've come to be with us. Uh, and uh, he's also the grandfather of Norma's favorite great-niece, and I'm sure you'll get a chance to meet her uh, this morning too. You know, all of us at some point in our life have had the experience of inviting someone to come to worship with us. We've asked someone to come and be with us for a gospel meeting or perhaps come and participate in Friends and Family Day or we've invited them to come and bring their children and be a part of a vacation Bible school. And what we've discovered is that they just weren't really particularly interested in coming. Now, sometimes they may have come to be polite. They may have come to be considerate. They may have come so they wouldn't hurt our feelings. But they have indicated in one way or another by word or an action or a facial expression that they really did not enjoy the experience and looked forward to it about as much as a root canal. And we've often been left to wonder why is it that way? Well, the answer to that, to a great extent, lies in the kind of life that people in our day and time in 21st century America live. Those who are not God's children and those who are living a different kind of life from what God would have them to live often find themselves rather uncomfortable in the presence of God. That man or that woman that knows something of Christianity and that knows something of what Christianity requires, who is not in agreement with it, invariably is going to find the singing of hymns and the praying of prayers and unpleasant and embarrassing and, well, shall we say, a miserable experience. Way back in the early morning of time when God created Adam and Eve, and He placed them there in the Garden of Eden to, 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 to dress and to keep the garden, Adam and Eve were getting along famously with God. Life was wonderful for, for them. They were in the paradise of Eden, and things just couldn't be better for them. And then it happened. God had told Adam and Eve not to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And you know what they did? They ate it. And suddenly, they were no longer comfortable in the presence of God. The very first thing they did was they tried to hide from God. You see, the moment they went away from living God's way, they felt a desire to be away from the presence of God. When they disobeyed what God wanted them to do, they no longer wanted to be in God's presence. They were ashamed. They were embarrassed. And the story of Jonah. Jonah is another classic example of the very same thing. From all indications, if you actually read between the lines... From all indications, Jonah was a good man. He was actually a very good man. 
he no doubt preached the truths of God and he preached them eloquently and, and wonderfully. And there came a day that God spoke to Jonah and He said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh to preach. Well, Jonah decided he didn't want to preach in Nineveh. And so what Jonah did is he got on a ship going the other direction. And when he made that decision, when he made the decision to run away from God, when he got on that ship going the opposite direction that God said to go, he was no longer comfortable in the presence of God. You know, there are many men and many women in our world today the vast majority, I would venture to say, that are not living God's kind of life. And to those that are not living God's kind of life, it's a very natural thing that, that those folks would be uncomfortable in the presence of God. To a Christian, reading the Bible, spending time in prayer, to the Christian those are wonderful experiences. But to the worldly, those are not a wonderful experience. They're an unwelcome occurrence. To the person whose motives are the motives of Christ, they're very pleasant. To the person whose motives are not the motives of Christ, they're unpleasant. You see, when an individual does not want what God wants, that individual is unhappy. That individual is even miserable. I remember hearing some of the older folk talk about the presidential election of 1980. I can't even say it with a straight face. When Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan squared off to run for president. And the one thing that Ronald Reagan hammered home over and over and over was the misery index. How high the misery index had become under the Carter administration. And Reagan used much of that misery index to describe the frustration of the American people. Well, the misery index is economic in nature. It's a function of some formula that I'm not smart enough to understand that relates to inflation and unemployment. And the higher that number is, the more miserable people are financially. And yet I would submit this morning, there are a lot of people in our world who have a an extremely high misery index in their lives, and it's not related to economics. They have a high misery index. Some folks just have enough religion to make them miserable when they do. They know they're doing what they ought not to do. And then there's some folks that have a high misery index because they are resisting the upward pull of God on their lives. They're fighting against God. 
They're fighting against what they know that God wants them to do. And because they're fighting against God, like Jonah when he fled to Tarshish, they're miserable. And their misery index is high. All of the misery in our world today is either directly or indirectly a result of man's resistance to God. Misery first reared its ugly head in our world with the disobedience, the breaking of God's commandments by Adam and Eve with their sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, life was forever altered when they were cast from the Garden of Eden. They had to earn their living by the sweat of their brow. They didn't have the same peace and the same enjoyment in life as they had before sin came. And the deluge of sin in this world came through Adam and through Eve. Then over in Genesis chapter 5, the waywardness of the people in Noah's time was the culmination of sin in that first long period of man's living on the earth. And the misery that those people suffered when the flood snuffed out their lives, that misery was the result of being disobedient to God and resisting God. When we, you and I, when we cooperate with God, when we let God have His way in our lives, it is then and it is only then that we find that deep peace of the soul that all of us are yearning for. Now, don't misunderstand this. And don't think that I'm saying this morning that all sinners are miserable today because they're not. There are a lot of folks that are blissfully happy in their sins. Because you see, they've become calloused. As the Hebrew writer suggests, their hearts have become hardened. And they're almost completely insensitive to spiritual values. I've known some of these people. I know some of these people. And I'm certain that their number is on the increase in our world today. And they're not miserable. Because their conscience is seared. Their heart is hardened. And they give no thought to spiritual things. But beloved, Jesus Christ came to disturb people. Jesus Christ came purposely to disturb man. And that sounds a little strange that I'd say that. Because normally we think of Christ as the Prince of Peace. And it seems like pretty strong language. But listen to what Jesus Himself said in Matthew 10, verses 34 through 39. He said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth, I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, 
and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. That's pretty strong language for the Prince of Peace, isn't it? But here's what that passage of Scripture means for us today. Man is here on earth. And man has become smug and complacent. Man is in sin, and what has happened is man has made peace with sin. He's come to feel that sin is all right. And he's comfortable in his sins. Jesus Christ came to pull man free from the degradation of sin. And for Jesus to pull us free from the degradation of sin, that is not day surgery. It's not an operation that can be performed painlessly. But Jesus did not come to sin peace. He did not come to leave folks satisfied in their lost condition. He came to set the captives free. And He came to take us to a higher plane of living. Following Jesus is never easy. Okay? It's not. And nobody ever said it would be. Following Jesus is not slowly and comfortably and easily drifting downstream. Following Jesus is not walking downhill. Following Jesus is climbing to the mountain heights. Following Jesus is getting out of the muck and the mire of sin and getting to the fresh air of the mountains. And that's not done without a struggle. It involves work and it involves effort. And it nearly always begins when man feels pain. When a man or a woman becomes disturbed about themselves. When we realize that something's wrong and we want something better. An individual cannot really become a Christian after they're old enough to be called an adult without feeling a struggle as they turn loose of sin and start to climb toward heaven. Pain. Pain precedes a new start. Did you ever touch a hot stove with your fingertips? I remember one time we were on vacation and we'd rented a cabin in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Had a kitchenette in there and had an electric stove. And we came in one night and the lights were all off and the stove was glowing. And I was a youngster at the time. I was only 19. And I went over and put my hand on there to make sure it was hot. 
I've done dumber things, but offhand I don't remember what they were. And it hurt. God has put pain endings in our fingertips, in our hands. And God has put pain endings all over our body. So when we hurt or when we touch a glowing red hot stove, we'll know it. And knowing it, we'll do something about it. I turned loose of it real quick, by the way. God has put pain endings in our soul, so to speak. We sometimes call it conscience. It's so that when we get our lives out of step with what God would have us to do, that we know it. And we'll feel it. And feeling ourselves out of step with God, we won't be happy. And we won't be comfortable. And not being happy and not being comfortable, we'll want to change something in our lives and get in step with God. We can't always be agreeable. See, that's a parallel fault that goes along with disturbing people. It's the idea that we can be too agreeable sometimes. That sometimes we can be too easy to get along with. Because sometimes it's easy for individuals to fit into their own world and be satisfied with the things around them. People sometimes need to be disturbed to get out of the rut of sin. We have to climb to the mountain heights so we can be saved. And sometimes, sadly, people can conform too completely to the circumstances around them. Now, when our children are young and our children are growing up, what do we teach our children? We teach our children to be agreeable because we want our children to fit in, don't we? We want our children to play well with other children. We want them to be the kind of people that can adjust and adapt to a situation around them. That's what we tell them. That's what we were taught. And it's good. We need to be agreeable. And we need to be adaptable. And we need to be polite. Are you listening? Sometimes it can pose a great problem. Because in life there are sometimes places where we ought not to adjust. Sometimes in life there are places where we ought to stand aloof. Under normal circumstances, we must go along. Under normal circumstances, we must be agreeable and be polite and fit in. We must play well with others, even as adults. That applies to things that have to do with our own personal preferences. Things that have to do merely with the temporal matters of this world. But there are other things. There are things that are matters of right versus wrong where we dare not fit in and go along with the crowd. Jesus did not always fit in. In things of a personal nature, Jesus was the most agreeable of men. But there were times that Jesus was not agreeable at all. 
Take for the t- example the time he walked into the temple. And in the outer court of the temple were the money changers. And there were those that were selling sacrifice. They were selling cattle and, and doves and things for sacrifice. Selling sacrifices and robbing people. And Jesus was not agreeable. And he looked, and everybody was accepting of it. People were walking by the money changers. They were walking by the people selling sacrifices. Nobody was saying anything about it. Nobody was disturbed about it. Everybody was just going along with it. And Jesus' righteous indignation boiled up inside him. He turned over the tables of the money changers. He opened the cages of the doves. He drove out the frightened cattle. Jesus did not fit in that day. Jesus said, it's written, My Father's house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. You and I, as God's children, are to be the most agreeable of people when it is right to be agreeable. However, Christians are people who do not fit in whenever fitting in means compromising on the truths of God and compromising on the teachings of God. Jesus uses two illustrations over in Matthew chapter 9 and verses 16 and 17. No man puts a piece of cloth on an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse, the tear is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, Else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine in new bottles, and both are preserved. Jesus is saying in that passage that the teaching He came to give would not fit to the old forms of paganism and Judaism. Jesus swept them away, and Jesus gave a whole new system. To avoid that misery, you and I need to be a peculiar people. And that doesn't mean weird, okay? And we don't need to be different just to be different. We don't need to be peculiar just to be peculiar. We're to be agreeable and compliant and complacent in everything we can. We are to do our very best to play well with others. But where truth of God's Word is involved, and where the principles of the teachings of God are involved, we must be different. I cannot begin this morning to enumerate all the areas of our life that this applies to. Because if I started on that and I was going to do all of that, Before the day was over, I'd be drawn and quartered and boiled in oil for preaching so long. But it applies to the entire realm of ethics and moral values. It applies to the way we dress and the way we conduct ourselves in society. It applies to the type of amusements we engage in. It applies to our worship of God and following the New Testament pattern in our worship of God. Wherever principles are involved, 
We must be different. We must be cleaner of life, purer of speech, higher of motives, and more dedicated to the things that are eternal. God wants us to be disturbed. Lest we go along with the current and drift downstream and be like the world. Here's how Paul put it in Romans 12 and verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Everything that Jesus taught points upward to God. Are you a Christian? If you're not, would you be one before you leave this building? Would you be disturbed enough to leave the sins of the world except Jesus Christ is your Savior? Repenting of sins, confessing His name, and being buried in baptism for the remission of past sins? Or have you done that? But the pain endings in your soul have gotten numb over the years. Would you come back home and begin once more to live God's kind of life? It's the invitation of Jesus as we stand and while we sing.